Welcome to Scholastic Reads, our podcast about books, authors, and the joy and power of reading. I'm your host, Suzanne McCabe, Editor-at-Large at Scholastic. Thank you for joining us. Libraries are the heart of a school, but many libraries suffer from chronic underfunding. Today, we'll talk with author James Patterson, who decided to do something to help save school libraries. Patterson has sold more books than just about anyone on the planet. You may know him for his Alex Cross and Women's Murder Club series, among many others. Patterson also writes for young people. The movie Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life, is based on Patterson's wildly popular book series for kids. In 2015, Patterson teamed up with Scholastic Reading Club to launch the first ever Patterson Pledge, a partnership that allows schools around the country to apply for grants to help their libraries. In the first year alone, Patterson donated $1.75 million for these grants. Scholastic Reading Club matched that with $1.75 million worth of Reading Club bonus points, enabling the winning school's teachers to purchase supplies, books, and more for their classrooms. The demand for the grants was staggering. More than 28,000 applications were submitted 467 lucky schools got grants ranging from $1,000 to $10,000. Knowing that other school libraries still needed help, Patterson pledged an additional $1.75 million this year. We're honored to talk with the superhero of school libraries about his pledge and about the importance of getting kids reading. Later on, we'll talk with Teresa Israel, a librarian at PS62 in the Richmond Hill section of Queens. Last year, Teresa's library won $7,000. First, James Patterson joins us by phone. Thank you for joining us today. First, I, I had a question. Why school libraries are so important to you? Well, I have a question for you. Okay. <laughs> why aren't Excellent. school libraries more important to everybody? <laughs> I mean, it, it's it's hugely important. It's uh, it's 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 the backbone of of our whole society. I mean, schools are vitally important, and the school library is the heart and soul of the school. Um, and I see this everywhere I go. I go to a lot of schools, uh, and you know, the thing is, if if the kids who who are reading fairly well early, if they don't read a lot, they really won't get fully developed as thinkers. And I see this. You know, really, even at the best colleges, kids who just, they're not developed as much as they should have been because they never read enough. And then maybe even more important, kids who, who are, who are at risk, if they don't become competent readers, and they can, this, we can do this, but they don't become competent readers by at least middle school. How are they going to get through high school? So right. they're usually, usually important. I want to quote from you. You have the great new movie, Middle School, The Worst Years of My Life. And in, mm-hmm. one, of, in one of the books, the character Rafe says, Camp Wanamora had its own library, which is kind of like putting a dentist's office in an amusement park. 
So Mm -hmm. many kids may have that view. How do we counter that? They do. Well, I think part of it, the, the biggest thing is making sure that the kids get books in their hands that you know, I have my own imprint, uh, a children's imprint at, at, at Little Brown called Jimmy. And our mission is a simple one, but I think it's an elegant one, which is that when a child finishes a Jimmy book, they'll say, please give me another book. That's it. Wow. It's, it's, there's, there's nothing more complicated than that. Make sure that they get books in their hands that they're going to say when they get done, please give me another book as opposed to, I don't like books. They didn't just make this up. The reason they don't like books is they've been given too many books that they don't like. I mean, we're simple. Hmm. We, uh, you know, we, we eat certain things and we go, I don't like it. I don't like the taste of it. Well, we're giving them too many books and they're going, we don't like the taste of it. And it's not that they're lazy. We're lazy because we're not searching out books that are going to turn these kids on. And you had a great experience, I understand, with your own son, Jack, when he was a young boy. Could you tell our listeners about that? Sure. Yeah. Well, when Jack, Jack's a very bright kid, but when he was eight or so, he wasn't a big reader. And he had a little bit of that. I don't really, you know, it wasn't that he hated it, but he didn't, he'd rather do other things. And that summer, Sue and I, uh, my wife and I, Sue, uh, we said, you're going to read every day. And, you know, Jack said, do I have to? And we said, yeah, unless you want to live in a garage. You know, we, we read in our house. <laughs> so, um, uh, and now the key thing was, Sue and I went out and we got him about a dozen, 10 to 12 books. And we made sure that they were books that we thought he was really going to really enjoy. And they ranged from Percy Jackson to Wrinkle in Time to uh, one of my Maximum Ride books, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. By the end of the summer, Jack's interest in reading had really improved dramatically when Jack took his SSATs, he got an 800 in reading. Wow. Uh, and Jack's a freshman at Brown now. Wow. So there's the one piece of it where you, you take your child and you understand that it's your job, not the school's job, to get your kids reading. It's your job. It's just, it's just as important as any other job, any other task that you have for your kids, making sure that they're not terribly overweight, making sure they get some exercise, making sure that they can read. It's your job. Hmm. It's a parent's job. What about your own experiences as a kid? What books were you drawn to? My mother was a teacher in our school, and she also worked in the town library on on Saturdays. Um, And I mean, it's so long ago, I don't even remember. (laughs) Hardy Boys, I I don't remember a lot (laughs) of the books, but but there was a steady stream of books, and... um, you know, she would always, you know, uh, you know, be bringing, you know, books home from the library that she thought, that, you know, would really turn me on. And, uh, you know, for the most part, it worked. I understand you did quite a bit of reading on your own while you were in college, while you were working. Well, I, I worked my way through college uh, summers and then anytime we had off at a mental hospital in Belmont, Massachusetts. I worked a lot of night shifts and that's when I started reading like crazy. Uh, I had a lot of, you know, most nights it was quiet, which, which was good. If it wasn't quiet, it was a bad <laughs> night. Um, so I really, and that's when I, that's when I fell in love with, with, with reading. And I, I would just go in, into Cambridge three times a week and go to the used bookstores and just pick up anything that looked good. And it was all, I mean, in those days I was a real little literary snob and, um, it was all pretty serious stuff, you know, um, uh, you know, Gabriel Garcia Marquez, Gunter Grass, uh, a lot of poetry, uh, plays, et cetera, et cetera. And, um, but that got me going, that got, and that got me writing. 
Now, getting back to the Patterson Pledge, what made you decide to create this with the Scholastic Reading Club? I knew there was a huge need. I knew that, that our libraries were under siege, that people don't, don't understand how important they are. People think that mistakenly think that kids are just reading on, on tablets now, which is not accurate. Um, a lot of governments, that's the first place that they cut, uh, the, you know, the local libraries or, or, uh, you know, funding for the schools. Um, and interestingly, when we put out, you know, when, when, uh, Scholastic and I put out the initial communication, um, we got 28,000 pleas for help in 10 days. Oh my God. And that just shows you how extreme the need is. Wow. What are some of the common themes you see in terms of particular needs at schools? The most common are, you know, we haven't been able to buy any new books for six years or eight years or nine years or whatever. Um, We don't have enough books, period. Um, We no longer have a librarian. Uh, We have a part-time librarian. But the the need for books is, 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 is the most extreme. And, uh, and, and that dominated once again this year's. Um, and some of the requests are really complex, and I, and I love those. There was a school in, in Reedsville, North Carolina, the Rockingham County Middle School. And you could, you could just tell from the request how much the school librarian there, Bronte Tatum, how much he thought about this, uh, this problem. So they have what they call a little free library which is, is close to the door when you go to school. And it's like a little red phone booth. And anybody who passes there, especially if they have a lot of low-income low income families in the school, um, you, you, you can take a book to read from there. So that's one piece. Then they, they're implementing this one million minutes reading challenge, uh, trying to build a community of, of readers and setting that challenge out there. And kids love that, and that's a very cool thing. But you have to have enough books. Um, and then the last thing that, that they're working on is uh, the idea of creating many libraries in every classroom, which, oh, wow. which once again, you need books. But somebody's thinking at that school, and that's, that's, that's one of the issues. People just need, need to be creative and um, you know, make sure that, that insofar as you can, that the library, the school library looks inviting, that it looks inviting and it is inviting. And, and anything you can, you can figure out, you know, have, um, you know, the, there, somebody has a little rock band in the school, fine, give them 15 minutes to play, bring everybody into the library. I think, you know, in terms of, in terms of school trips, you know, let's go to the, to the zoo, let's do this, that, and the other, and those are great. The first school trip should be to the little school library. Hmm. Yeah. Really? Yes. Every class, that should be part of the thing. Every class should take a trip to the school library and it shouldn't be a little boring lecture and somebody should really think about the, the, the job of that five or 10 minutes when those kids come in there is to turn them on. It's not just to give them information in, in, a, in a boring way. It's to turn them on to the possibilities. What's in these books? What are the secrets? What's the magic? What's the wonderfulness? What's the, you know, how do you wake them all up to to what's incredible, which is inside the books. And it reminds me, I saw a quote of yours somewhere that I loved, something about the greatest minds that have ever been on this planet are in that library. Yeah, and, yeah, absolutely. They're right there so waiting true. for you. They're all alive. <laughs> They're all alive and waiting for you. They want to talk to you. But that's how, you know, people need, they, they need to talk to the kids because the kids are walking out of there feeling kind of excited. 
they walk in going like, oh, I don't know. I mean, some of them would be excited, but some of them are like, I don't want to, you know, uh, you know, you want them to walk out excited. I talk sometimes about, about teaching Shakespeare and, you know, for a lot of kids, that's, that's a, that's a tough deal. But, uh, you know, when I was, when I was growing up, it was, you know, well, here's Hamlet, read 40 pages, you'll be tested tomorrow. That's not, that's not what kids need to hear. What they need to hear is something like, you got to understand the, the environment in London. First of all, in London in those days, half the populace was going to the theater. That's incredible. That's more people than go to the movies. And that wasn't true anywhere else in the world. Nowhere, not in Paris, nowhere was there that kind of an audience for theater. People loved it. But these, it wasn't the theater as you know it. It was, it was, it was very noisy and, and a lot of people would drink in the theater and they'd make noise and they were very impatient with the actors if it wasn't interesting to them. Um, so I want to give you an idea. Rather than I want everybody to stand up on, on, on their seats and, and, and we're going to read the first half page of Hamlet or, or Macbeth or something. And I want you to read in your loudest voice because we got to make sure everybody pays attention. <laughs> okay. Now we're beginning to get somewhere. Okay. Now you notice that i that I've, I took blackboards and they don't really have those anymore, but I have all over the boards, all these phrases and words and all this stuff. And you recognize, oh, you recognize that one. And you recognize the word road and this phrase and that phrase. Yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Shakespeare invented all that. What? He invented words? Yeah, he literally invented words. He invented words, he invented all these phrases, and that's Shakespeare. You know, so suddenly I'm like, okay, I'm a little interested in this guy now. I would love to ask you just a little bit about your writing, if you could share some secrets with all of the aspiring writers out there. I never give advice to writers or would-be writers as much as I, you know, what I do. And, 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 and not everybody should do this, although I think some of these things everybody should do. But the first thing is that your idea for your story or your, or your book is one that when you tell it to people, they go, ooh, 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 tell me more. That sounds great. So you have an idea for a story that, that people find interesting. And it can, be, it can be a plot. It can be a character who just sounds very interesting. It can be... Um, something that relates to your experiences in true life. But everybody's going, that, that really sounds cool. The second piece is to really write an outline and to write and rewrite and rewrite that outline. And, and, and the outline can just be, you know, every chapter, you just have a sentence or two in this chapter, this happens and here, but, and that's that sentence or two should capture what the heart of that chapter is what's going to drive that chapter from beginning to end and why the reader is going to be rewarded by that and want to read the next chapter. So, so I think those are the big things, having an idea that, that, that people are interested in hearing your story and then outlining it in a way that makes the story more coherent. And also once again, that people want to, you know, to go from one chapter to the next chapter to the next chapter in schools, outlines are vitally important. Mm -hmm. They will ultimately save you time. They will get you a better grade. They will make the whole thing more rewarding <laughs> outline, outline, outline. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Hopefully it stimulates people to be even more excited about the libraries to appreciate the librarians. And one of the things I do if I go in front of a big group of librarians or teachers, I'll say, I'm here to save lives and to remind you that you're saving lives all the time. My best friend was a teacher. He just retired. He taught a class where they took kids who 
were bright, but they really couldn't stand to be in school. And I said, I met these two guys, the Antonelli twins. They said that you taught them. He said, oh, those kids, they drove me crazy. Oh my God, I hate to even think about them. I said, well, it's interesting because they told me you saved their lives and they're both teachers now. (laughs) So a lot of times the librarians and teachers have no idea how much good they're doing. Absolutely. Because they don't hear about it. But they are saving lives. They're saving lives uh, every day in school, especially with those kids that if they don't learn how to read and aren't competent reading, they're going to have trouble. Thank you so much for talking with us. It was really wonderful chatting with you. You're welcome. And I so appreciate your work on behalf of kids. Now, librarian Teresa Israel joins us by phone. Hi, Teresa. Thank you so much for talking with us. Hi. Yes, of course. We'll let our listeners know that you are at school. So if they hear announcements in the background. There's a lot of noise always. Well, that's a good sign. The application for a Patterson Pledge poses a single question. What would your school library do with $1,000 to $10,000? What was your response to that question? For us, it was kind of an easy um, question to answer. Um, Our school library is really the only library that our kids get to use. The local library um, is kind of far away. And, um, you know, a lot of our kids are living in poverty. They go home to take care of their brothers and sisters, so they don't get to utilize a lot of the public library services. So for me, it was always about getting more books for the kids. You know, when I first took over about six years ago in the library, our estimated um, age of our collection was like 94 or 95. It was really aged. And um, it wasn't appealing. It was old. It was dusty. Um, So each year with the help of grants like the Patterson Grant, um, I've been slowly just you know, rebuilding a little bit of our collection at a time. And again, not only just to, to have more books available to the kids, but to make sure they were quality books as well. So for, for, for that, um, for our kids, it really meant, you know, especially the, uh, the nonfiction section was so woefully outdated. Um, my kids love, they, they still love having a book in their hands. There's still those kids out there. So um, for me, it was just, just helping to really improve the library that way. What are some of your students' favorite books or topics or authors? Well, it was kind of a twofold thing. Um, a lot of our kids are um, English language learners. They're um, you know recent immigrants to the country. So what I, I was finding was that a lot of times um, fiction was proving to be a little bit difficult for these kids who are struggling to learn English. So I was getting a lot of they have a lot of new series of nonfiction books with heavy picture support and a lot of labels and bold print. And it was just really appealing to people who were, you know, learning a new language, but still needed that content. So I, I, I spent a lot of the money updating the nonfiction collection, trying to find easier, easier to read nonfiction books. And, and thank God the publishers have really caught on with this as well. So um, that was, that was wonderful. And then the other half of that is the kids who can read. I tried to build as many books in different series as possible. Cause I find once I get a kid to read like book one of a series, you know, there's usually they're sold, but you know, then the, you know, the problem becomes, I got to, I have to keep up with each new book that comes out <laughs> in that series to keep them going. So kind of a little bit of both balancing the fiction and the nonfiction. How much time would you say your students spend on average on independent reading each day? I'm sure that varies. Uh, it probably does vary. I would say at least a half an hour though in the classrooms. That's great. At least. And then most of our kids are expected to read at least another half an hour at home for homework. And again, that becomes a challenge to the parents. They're not sure 
what type of books the kids should be reading, what, um, you know, what, what, you know, their level is, you know, what, what's appropriate. So again, I really try and be, uh, you know, available to the parents as well to help them out with those decisions. How old are your students? We're, we're um, a pre-K through five school in Queens. You have read aloud in the library? We do. Yeah. Like I said, I'm very fortunate uh, in the time when a lot of libraries are, you know, are being closed, you know, to, to pay for other things. My principal is a big supporter of libraries. And uh, yeah, it's been, it's been a wonderful thing, I think, for the school community. Is there anything else that you'd like to add? I just want to thank Scholastic and James Patterson. It's been a huge shot in the arm for our school library and for our kids. Well, thank you so much, Teresa. Oh, of course. Congratulations. Uh, thank you so much. To learn more about the Patterson Pledge, go to scholastic.com slash Patterson Partnership. Thanks again to James Patterson and Teresa Israel for joining us today. And thank you for joining us and for sharing in our mission at Scholastic, where we believe that the right book in a child's hands can open a world of possible. Special thanks to producer Morgan Baden, sound engineers Daniel Jordan and Chris Johnson, and music composer Lucas Elliott Eberl. I'm Suzanne McCabe. We look forward to sharing more Scholastic Reads next time.